Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, The Triumph of the Kingdom of God, with a message entitled, Shadows of the End of the Age. So turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. In the letters of the Apostle John, John mentions antichrists, plural. I know that's surprising to some. If you've heard of the Antichrist, you'll have heard that this is the man who rules Earth's last empire. In the end of the age, Antichrist will create a one-world government and rule the entire Earth. He'll be seen by many as a man of peace, but even as he looks like a man, he speaks like a dragon. That is, Antichrist will be possessed not just by a demon, but by the prince of demons, Satan himself. And furthermore, the Antichrist will set about to defeat the people of God. As well, he will make laws that prohibit all worship of the one true God. Sometimes people want to know if we're approaching those days in which he will arise. And given the nature of global communication and travel, and given the nature of military abilities, and given the progress of technology, some feel that his days are soon at hand. But of course, we can't know. Jesus said so quite emphatically, and I suspect that when he does take power, he's going to do so with lightning speed, and it will be completely unexpected. But did you also know that John told us in 1 John 2.18, he said, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. You know, the last Antichrist will accomplish what so many of them failed to accomplish before him. And today we're going to learn about one of those past Antichrists. He was one of the cruelest men in history. He was a man who was determined to defeat the people of God and to destroy every last vestige of worship of the one true God. So today we're going to be studying Daniel chapter 8, and it's going to be a whirlwind tour. So hang on and buckle up, keep your Bible open, and listen hard. And here's a word to the wise. What we're going to learn will have a great deal of application to our own lives, for it will tell us how we are to live in these last days. Remember that this is now the second vision that Daniel sees. The first one dealt with four world empires, and then at the end of that, eventually, we would see the complete triumph of the kingdom of God. Remember also that all of the visions that Daniel sees are in his future, but some of them are in our past. That is, we're now 2,500 years later, and going from Daniel's time to our time, we can see that a great many visions that he saw of the future are already now our past events. And that's what we're going to read about today. You might ask, well, what has all of that got to do with me? I mean, why should I be interested in this? And the answer is that if you learn from Daniel chapter 8, you're going to learn how to deal with an ominous future. So hang in there. Here we go. I'm reading Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. So we did notice that Daniel's first vision happened in the first year of King Belshazzar, and so this one happens two years later. The date of the vision is probably about 550 B.C., so let's continue to read. Verse 2, And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. Now, 
from reading that, it's, it's hard to know where Daniel was. I mean, was he in Babylon? And there in Babylon received a vision, and he was transported to Elam and its capital, which was Susa. I guess it's also possible that Daniel could have gone to Susa. That would have been a very long journey, close to 3,000 kilometers. So Babylon is in what we now know as Iraq, and Susa is in what we now know as southwestern Iran. But for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. Daniel's standing by the Ulai Canal, which flowed not far from the city itself. And I think that was an ideal setting for the vision he was about to have concerned the Persian Empire and Susa was in that very region. At any rate, let's keep reading verses 3 and 4. It says, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Well, you might remember that in the last vision, that was the one in chapter 7, Daniel had seen a vision of a bear raised up on one side. And at that time, I had said that the bear represented the Medo-Persian Empire and that it was on one side because the Persian half of the empire was the dominant side. Well, now in this vision, it corresponds to what Daniel had previously seen. It's a different vision, but it's about the same thing. Now, notice that the ram charges in three directions, west, north, and south. And we know from history that this was where the major conquests of the Persian Empire occurred. And we also know that at the beginning, the Persian Empire was virtually invincible. King Cyrus had everything going his own way, and he became arrogant, knowing he could do whatever he wanted. Now to verses 5 to 7. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So you'll notice that the goat comes from the west, and there he's amazingly swift. And from history, we know that that refers to the Greeks. Alexander the Great came from Macedonia, the north of Greece. And in 334 BC, Alexander won the famous battle of Granaticus in Asia Minor. And with that, he, he moved his troops very quickly into the Persian kingdom. He conquered Persia and the entire Middle East in a matter of three years. And you'll notice that in Daniel's vision, the goat is moving so fast that its hoofs don't even touch the ground. Notice also that in Daniel's vision, the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. We should remember from chapter 7 that horns represent world emperors. And so this is the vision of one powerful emperor. We, of course, know him as Alexander. At any rate, the Persian Empire has no power to stand against Alexander. He utterly defeats Persia, or as Daniel saw in his vision, he casts him to the ground and tramples upon him. It was really a remarkable feat. The Persians had immense numerical advantages over the Greeks. They had elephants as war animals. They had very powerful military equipment, but 
Alexander was a tactical genius. He outmaneuvered and left the Persian Empire in ruins. You know, it never recovered, even to this day. This became the decisive moment when the Middle Eastern power was broken and the European power came into being. But now comes a crucial moment. Look at verse 8. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Now, here's a prophecy, Daniel 8.8. 8. You know, at the height of his power, that is, at the height of Alexander's power when he was strong, suddenly, says our text, the great horn is broken. And we know that Alexander died in 323 B.C., You know, he had a sudden fever brought on by dissipation, and at the age of 33, he was gone. His troops were shocked, and I mean, how could that happen? And there are rumors that he was poisoned to death, but that was never proved. Nonetheless, at the height of his power, he's gone. There were attempts to hold his empire together, but the ambitions of his leading generals made that impossible. And so General Cassander claimed Greece. Lysimachus claimed Thrace and Asia Minor. General Ptolemy claimed Egypt and the region of Israel, Palestine. And General Seleucus controlled the rest of the Middle East, especially into Syria. Indeed, this vision was fulfilled down to the details. So let's keep reading, because things get really ominous after that. You know, please remember that when I began, I said, many antichrists have gone out into the world. Well, what Daniel will describe next will sound remarkably like the little horn that became the antichrist in chapter 7. So let's start to read Daniel 8, 9. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. That is, out of the four generals mentioned, one of them, a little horn, grew exceedingly great. And then Daniel mentions, as far as expanding his rule to the south and the east, he mentions he expanded his rule into the glorious land. So that's a reference to Israel. And we know from history that the Seleucid part of Alexander's empire were located in Syria. And eventually, they took Israel from the Ptolemies of Egypt. And eventually, a king came to power who still conjures up images of horror among Jews today. His name was Antiochus. He took upon himself the name Epiphanes, which means the manifestation of God. He believed himself to be God, and in due time, he would murder thousands and thousands of the Jews and attempt to eradicate Judaism from the face of the earth. Do you want some encouragement as you grow in faith? Well, we can help. Our beautiful Back to the Bible Canada 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar is available to you free of charge during the month of October. All you need to do is visit us at backtothebible.ca or request your copy by calling 1-800-663-2425. And wait, there's more. To help us help more people find hope in Jesus and discover the Word of God, A few generous ministry friends across the country have provided us with a $50,000 matching donation for the month of October. That means for every dollar you give this month, it will be doubled dollar for dollar up to $50,000. To give a gift, become a monthly partner, or request your free 2021 scripture wall calendar, visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. We ended up by reading about a little horn who came to the glorious land. 
Now verse 10 says of that horn, it grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. In 168 BC, Antiochus, with some 20,000 troops, seized Jerusalem on a Sabbath day. He then ordered that a great statue of the god Zeus be erected in the Jewish temple and then promptly made his first sacrifice on the altar in the temple. It was a pig, and he sacrificed a pig in the temple to enrage the Jews and to desecrate the temple. I want you to think about that for a moment and then read Jesus' words from Matthew 24, 15, where he's saying, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and then Matthew adds, let the reader understand, Jesus was referring to this very event. That is, Jesus predicted that there would be a further desecration of the holy place in the end times carried out by the last Antichrist. You know, isn't it easy to see that Antiochus was indeed an Antichrist that went out into the world? Now to verses 11 and 12, still speaking about the little horn. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with a regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Indeed, Antiochus did succeed, at least for a time, in which he was able to bring the sacrificial system in Jerusalem to a complete halt. Verses 13 and 14. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one, and said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Well, without getting into all the details about that, we can say this. This is precisely what happened. You know, in the exact period of time that Daniel had indicated, a man named Judas Maccabeus led a revolt of the Jewish people. And in 164 BC, the Seleucids were driven from Israel. That event is still celebrated by the Jews to this very day right around the time that we celebrate Christmas. It's called Hanukkah. It's a celebration of light over darkness when the darkness of Antiochus and his Seleucid empire was overthrown by the light of God's people. You know, so far we see this remarkable accuracy of Daniel's prophecy. But someone might still argue whether or not I'm simply putting my interpretation on this vision about a ram with two horns and then a goat with a great horn that moved quickly and then four horns that came out of it and a little horn that marched toward the glorious land and all the rest of that stuff. I mean, maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I guess you could make any historical event fit into the vision that Daniel had received. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. So let's continue to read through this chapter because you can imagine that Daniel himself, because these events haven't happened yet, is wondering about this vision. He wants it interpreted. Verses 15 and 16. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so as Daniel's trying to understand, the angel Gabriel, who bears the appearance of a man, comes to Daniel. When you hear the name Gabriel, you might think about the time of Jesus. 
You know, Zechariah is in the temple. Luke 1.19 says, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. See, that's who Gabriel is. He's one of the highest positions of all of the angels. And here we see him being commissioned directly from God to explain Daniel's vision to him. So we carry on reading verses 17 to 19. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. And he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep and my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now, you might be surprised that the angel says that Daniel's vision refers to the time of the end. Indeed, the angel says it two times just so we don't miss its importance. And that might seem impossible to us because, as I've said, Daniel saw this vision in 550 B.C. And it took place between the years 539 B.C. and 164 B.C. So since that time, well, another 2,100 years have passed to come to our day. So how can Daniel be told that this is about the time of the end? So in order to answer that, please don't think that every time you read the time of the end, that it must refer to the end of the age. Notice again back in verse 19 where Gabriel himself explains what he means by the time of the end. He says, I have made known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. So the time of the end that the angel is referring to is the end of the terrifying rule of Antiochus. That's what end means here. But let's get back to the overall message of Daniel. You know, the wonder of this book really is a twofold wonder. I mean, first, we should marvel at the precision in which Daniel tells us of what is to come. And that assures us that when the Bible speaks of the end times, it speaks from a God who says what's going to happen before it does. And God can speak about the future in meticulous detail. Now, the second wonder is this. God has in history shown us patterns, what I like to call shadows of the end of the age. Antiochus really is a type, or he's a pattern, or he's a foreshadowing of the last world ruler who is the Antichrist. You know, that's why after Jesus told of the end time desecration, he mentions the book of Daniel. What Antiochus did in his day is a foreshadowing of what the Antichrist will do in the future. But let's return to our chapter, Daniel chapter 8. You're going to remember that Daniel wondered what these events meant, and Gabriel is sent to him to interpret the matter. So now to verses 20 to 26. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. You see, there he says it. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy many men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, 
he shall make deceit prosper in his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And so Gabriel affirms that the vision that Daniel saw is really speaking about the Medo-Persian Empire being defeated by the king of Greece and of breaking into four parts after him. And we're left to marvel again at the precision of which the Bible speaks about the future. And this is how we are to think about the end of the age as well. God has already told us what's going to happen. Without warning, the world will change in an instant And then the Antichrist, the last Antichrist, the great Antichrist, will arise suddenly and will destroy many. What are we to do? Listen as chapter 8 ends. It says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. You know, we might react like Daniel. We're appalled that this world has never been a friend to grace. When God sent his son into the world, how did the world respond to him? They nailed him to a cross. And that's how the world responds to the marvelous love of God today. And we might be appalled, but we must not be surprised and we must not lose heart. Clearly, as we now see, God is in control. The empires of this world will arise at his permission and they will remain no longer than he has decreed, then they will fall. Finally, the last great empire will arise and Christ will defeat it. Rather than being appalled, let's have hope. In the end, God wins. Thanks so much, John. You know, I would expect there's a majority of Christians who wouldn't readily know the name Antiochus. But why is he so important? Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Now, if you're a Jew, you do know the name Antiochus and you know it quite well. Christians often don't know that name because Antiochus lived in the intertestamental period, so there is actually no biblical material about him. However, as we saw here, he is predicted, and Jesus tells us that the coming Antichrist will act in a way in which Antiochus did. He will defeat the people of God and he will do an abomination that causes desecration. So this is what's being told. So in that sense, I think we should know. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Triumph of the Kingdom of God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're so grateful for all of our listeners from coast to coast to coast. If you'd like to join the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, we'd love to invite you to become a member of our new 1119 Fellowship, our monthly donor program. We're also grateful to be able to offer all of our listeners the opportunity to participate in a special match campaign this month that was launched at our recent virtual event, The Gathering. For every dollar you give toward the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, laugh again or in doubt, another dollar will be given up to $50,000, expanding opportunities to share the truth of God's Word in Canada and beyond. If you've been listening and perhaps never taken the opportunity to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, perhaps this is the perfect time. 
Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca.